Hello and welcome back to Demo Tapes, the music podcast that's all about hitting rewind and occasionally fast forward on the bands and scenes we love. I'm Rick Martin and this, my partner in crime, is Sarah Jane Kemp. How are you, Sarah? Hello, I'm good, thanks, Rick. It is Wednesday, it's not Wednesday, it's Tuesday. I'm getting ahead of myself there. Uh, it feels like Wednesday, to be fair. But uh, yeah, all good here. The sun is shining in uh, Croydon, so very happy. How about you? Yeah, all good. Uh, another another week of lockdown, but the end is kind of now in sight, or what kind of looks like the end. They're saying, you know, December 2, the national lockdown lifts, then we're all going into tiers, but no one knows which tier they're in. Maybe the time we've, by the time we've released this, we'll all, we'll all know what's happening. But main thing for me, they're going to allow fans back into football matches in lower tiered areas. I mean, small numbers of fans, but it's small progress, right? And uh, maybe some semblance of life returning to normal, maybe a little bit of a normal... Christmas is on the horizon but yeah how, how's your week been I know I know you've um you've, you've been getting up to some stuff yeah I mean it, it actually has been quite a busy week for me it's my boyfriend's big birthday the big birthday the big four zero um in a couple of weeks and I decided to treat him with uh booking one of his favorite chefs to come and do a home visit for us on Saturday night and there was a bit of bumming and ahhing because I wasn't sure whether it was kind of in, within the rules, but I, I kind of guessed that it would be because it was just one person and he was working and it was very social distance when he got into my house and all that kind of jazz. But it was absolutely fantastic. An eight course meal um, in my own living room, looking out across London. Um, it's safe to say that I got serious girlfriend points and he even said to me, I hope we're not together on your 40th because I don't know if I can trump this present. Um, I'm 34 in a couple of weeks, so it's a good six years before that even happens. So we've got time to plan it. I guess on the cooking theme, what have we got cooking on this episode? I love it. Always bridging the gap, Rick. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about a band everyone who's listening may know of um, but if you would if you're around the scene uh, in the early 2000s the, the London Grot and Roll scene then you'll know who they are um, they are the Paddingtons. Yeah they were kind of at the heart of that Libertines led uh, London music scene weren't they? They were and they weirdly though they weren't from London obviously they were from Hull so they were one of the only bands from outside of London that made it into the heart and soul of the London scene which I always found quite interesting because I guess musically they were quite different from the rest of them as well so I think you know Pete probably saw something in them uh, they had a very their spirit was very much part of that that scene so I, I can imagine that's probably you know why they ended up there. So you got Tom and Lloyd on the line for a bit of a chinwag, so we can we can go into that a little bit later on, right? Absolutely. But before we get into that, uh, we have to talk about Rick being back on his bloody soapbox, don't we, Rick? So I did on the last episode talk about this uh, campaign. I mean, is it a campaign? I guess I'm encouraging music fans to support the bands they love at the moment. You know, this this, as we said last time out, it's a tough time. Bands can't play live in the way they're used to. You know, it's it's been it's, it's it's a tough time all around, right? If you're a musician, and it's one of the themes of the interviews we've been having with bands for for this series. I was even starting to question, you know, do we need a, t- a tagline? Do we need a logo? Do we need badges? Do we need a just giving page for bands? I don't know. Well, I mean, actually, th- thinking of the just giving, I haven't seen anything out there like that. I'm sure there must be. So it will be good for people to educate us as well. If you've seen anything, we are happy to give it a shout out on one of the future episodes. If you if you want to let us know, you can contact us. We'll give you all the details at the end of the show. 
I guess one of the ways that people can support the bands they love, and we mentioned this on the last episode, is around virtual gigs. So I've put together a bit of a virtual gig guide, if you want me to run through that, Sarah. 100%. Um, and I guess this this is harking back to the old days of the NME, right? Where you, one of the main reasons people would buy the NME was for a kind of a gig guide and to know what was coming up. But actually, when I was looking into this, some of these I'd seen because they're bands that I'm a fan of and artists that I like, and others I wasn't aware of until I did, until I did a bit of Googling. So I don't think anyone really has, has collated these together and really put them in a list. So I've I've picked out the top four coming up in, in the next few weeks that uh, I definitely think are worth a watch. So... That band, the Orioles, I may have mentioned once or twice uh, on on this podcast, and we're trying to get on as guests at some point future in the series. Watch this space. They're playing at the Hebden Bridge Trades Club, which is like um, becoming quite an infamous venue in in Yorkshire. It's a really small town, and it's winning like awards as best small venue and, and stuff like that. They're playing there on the fifth of uh, December, so well worth that, that. That'll definitely be well worth a watch. Great band. The same night, if maybe Orioles don't float your boat, Liam Gallagher, float your boat, playing by the Thames. There's a bit of a link there. He's doing his Down by the River uh, gig, um, which apparently is some sort of virtual reality, immersive kind of fan experience. That'll be interesting. So also worth a look. And look, I I guess in raising Liam Gallagher, he's definitely not one of those artists on the breadline, right? But um, still worth raising as, as, as as a great gig to watch. Then John Cooper Clark. I mean, he's more of a poet, I guess, than a musician, but he's kind of a punk poet, I guess. And we talked about him on the on the last series because I saw him live. He's a brilliant kind of uh, live performer, kind of rapid, sort of rapid-fire scattergun poetry, if you've never seen it before. He's doing a charity gig at the Colchester Arts Centre on December 12. And yet all the proceeds from that are going to a number of uh, food banks and I think the Arts Centre itself, which is a bit of a charity. So not only are you helping out uh, an artist, but... Also some charities into the bargain. Another one I guess I'd raise, a bit of a wild card, Courtney Barnett, the kind of Australian singer-songwriter, is doing a global gig on December 17th from her native Australia, Melbourne, uh, I think it is. And again, she's she's one of those who's long been kind of a great live performer, and that's kind of where I think she's kind of her music is best experienced. So another one to check out. And uh, if you want to attend uh, any of those gigs virtually, we'll put the links in the description to this episode. as a bit of a... A bit of a mini gig guide. And are they charging all of them or are some of them free? No, they're all, they're all paid for. And I think that's the key thing for me at the moment is, you know, of course, we said on the last episode, it's not going to be the same as being in the venue with a beer in your hand. But I think, you know, particularly some of those that are kind of virtual reality, I think you will get a slightly different experience. And it's good to see bands kind of innovating and finding new ways to sort of connect with fans. So, yes, they're all charged. I don't think they're astronomical. You know, if you were to see... Liam playing the O2, you'd be talking 50, 60 quid. I think this is 10, 15, 20 quid uh, for his gig. Not not the end of the world, 10, 15 quid to see your art, you know, your favourite artist in a slightly new way. So yeah, check them out. We'll put the links in the description. Yeah, I think it's a really good idea. I mean, you've got to do the best with what you've got, right? And they still have to make money. So I think it's a great idea. Okay, so that's me off my soapbox again for another week. Um, so I think let's get into the uh, into the meat and bones of uh, of this week's episode and the uh, the Paddingtons. And I think I, I guess I wanted to start off, Sarah, by by talking more about the scene they were part of. You know, we want to hear the story of the band and for you know for fans of that band or people who remember them. I think you've got some interesting stuff we'll go on to with with Lloyd and Tom. But I also think this is a place when I think about that London scene that I think our experiences of music at the time 
were quite were quite different. You were definitely more at the heart of that London scene. You didn't live in London, you know, you were in Nottingham, but you definitely spent more time in London than I did. And I think you knew a lot more of those bands. So can you kind of cast your mind back and sort of paint the picture of, of what that was like? I can, and I remember how it all happened, actually. And I think I've talked about this before when I, talk, when I say that my friend from college, Ross, he seemed to know all of these bands. And I don't know how he knew all of these bands because he was the same age as me. We were a little bit younger than all of them, only by kind of, you know, maybe two to five years, maybe younger than them. But um, yeah, he took me to see Franz Ferdinand, the enemy gig. And that's the, that's, you know, the, the time I really got into all of the, the, the bands. And that was a real turning point for me. But he also knew bands such as the Paddingtons and the others and the Unstrung who were all part of that scene. And I do remember going to see... Paddington's playing Nottingham once and I mean memories are quite vague from that time let's face it you know it's quite a long time ago and there was a lot of alcohol involved when you're when you're kind of 17 18 years old going to see bands mm, mm. um but I do remember one time ending up in London here and ending up in Hull there and just kind of you know being on a jumping on a train without paying in those days was really easy because they didn't have any barriers so obviously didn't have any money either so you know jump on a tour bus and end up in London with no money and then to kind of get back home I remember having to call my mum sheepishly from a payphone in a hotel reception in London she had no idea I wasn't in Nottingham um, and asking her to put some money into my account so I could get home uh, those were the days but yeah it was very much you know the music was the music was great and it kind of was very different that all of the bands were different to each other but for me it was it was part of you know the thing for me that I loved about it was the the kind of soul and the amazing kind of vibes that you get from hanging out with these bands and it was bonkers like let's let's face it it was pretty like you know bizarre like the, some of the things that went on but I just loved it and I was in awe of it. Did it feel like a community because I think that that's what maybe what people think when they look, look, look back on that did you feel like you're part of a a community of like-minded music fans? Um, I mean, I guess so. I didn't even really think of it like that. And I, I'm not sure I would really think about it like that now, if I'm honest. It was just everyone who had the same love for the same thing was in the same place at the same time, on the same level. You know, we'd all just, you know, it would all just be a bit of fun. I was actually in the music video, 50 to a Pound. Uh, I remember getting on a mega bus with a couple of the other girls that knew, it, knew them from Hull, actually. I must have started off in, I don't know where I was. I must have been in Hull or Leeds or something and, and gone up with them, gone down with them to London. And uh, it was in one of the famous pubs um, of the indie time back in London, in East London then. Uh, and it was a great fun day out. Um, but yeah, if you if you go and Google it, then you can see me kind of running across the dance floor because um, a fight breaks out in the video and everyone sort of like runs away. And yeah, but it was fun. Just just things like that. You just I would probably like missed a lot of college to do it, <laughs> but um, it was fun. So I guess I had a slightly different experience of that scene than you. You know, by the sounds of it, you were at the heart of that scene. You knew the bands. You were appearing in videos. You know, at the time I was an, an enemy writer, a freelancer um, at. I'd been at university and college, I guess, in Manchester and then Sheffield for uh, for university. And it was one of those things where I felt quite, I don't want to say excluded and get the violin out, but it was something I think that if you lived in the north, and I know you lived in Nottingham, but you were spending a lot of time in London. But for me living in the north, I felt, you know, if, if a gig was announced in a squat in two hours time, I kind of can't get to that. And, and it seemed like, you know, for that reason it felt something that was further away than just 200 miles down the motorway. And I think for that reason, that's almost why I was quite keen as an enemy writer to talk up the local scenes there were in kind of Sheffield and Manchester as almost like a reaction to that stuff and saying, you know, you've got the Libertines-led scene in London, 
this one in Manchester is even better. That sounds very typical of you, Rick. If you're not involved in it, create something, you know, fight against it and rally against it. Does that sound about right? I mean, Your it's, personality? it's not, not, not far off. I mean, I should say I did still go and watch a lot of the bands when they came to Sheffield. You know, a lot of these bands toured Sheffield and I'd see them and I'd review them for Enemy, but it wasn't the same. You know, I think it's very different if you review a band like the Paddingtons or the or Baby Shambles when they're in Sheffield and they're kind of, um, they're there for the night and then they're gone again compared to, you know, spending a whole weekend with a band at three different gigs across three different squats. So I could see it was an exciting scene, but yeah, because because I'm a bit difficult, because I'm a bit cynical, because I wasn't right at the heart of it and involved and other Enemy writers were, <clears throat> I just wasn't, in, I wasn't that interested in it. You know? jealousy jealousy fine the fine whiff of jealousy there I get Rick but interesting like you you seem to think that I was very much part of the London scene actually I was in Nottingham so I had the best of both worlds and that's probably one of the reasons why I, I saw the Paddington so much is because I could easily just jump on a train and go up to Leeds or Hull as much as I could just jump on a train and go down to London so actually probably being in Nottingham was was one of the, the best places that you could have been for, for, for that because you had the best of both worlds. A little bit nearer London, a little bit nearer everyone else, right? Exactly. And, you know, I used to go up and there were bands at the time like 10,000 Things, so Sam Riley, who was actually the lead in Control, the film. Um, about the about Joy, Joy Division. About yeah. Joy Division, yeah. Um, that came out afterwards, kind of when he sort of dipped his toe into the acting world, I believe. And um, But, I, you know, I used to really like 10,000 Things. They're also from the North. And the bands like The Cribs as well, who um, were also kind of part of that scene, but are still going today, which is interesting. So, And we talk about that in the interview. Yeah, so I guess, I guess it's probably a good lead into to go into the chat we've heard some of our memories there we'll talk about a few of our other memories of those times the other side of the interview probably a good time to bring in uh, Lloyd and Tom so do you want do you want to tee this up tell it tell us the story of the interview before before we play that in yeah it was uh, Wednesday night last week uh, during lockdown um, I got them both on a video call which was great uh, Lloyd had his camera on and Tom didn't um, but to be honest I, I, I knew Lloyd more than any of the other members of the band um, and just kind of seeing him he doesn't look much different to what he did 15 16 years ago so hmm. that was quite quite interesting to, to kind of see that but yeah it was good to have a, a catch up and a chat and it's always good fun to to reminisce and go back down memory lane isn't it absolutely yeah so let, let's get them on the line then i guess so today i've got tom and lloyd from the paddingtons on the line i think tom you're in london and lloyd you're in hull am i right that is correct yeah i'm in yep. stoke newington yeah yeah, I'm in Croydon um, and we've talked about this interview probably for a couple of years now and it's definitely been since series one but I guess lockdown and technology makes it a bit easier for it to happen which is good and um, I want to talk to you both today about obviously the Paddingtons what you're up to now and also want to delve a bit kind of deeper into the scene you were a part of and for Rick and I well for, for me definitely and I'm pretty sure Rick is you know, my podcast host, he was a co-host, he was at the NME for a decade during that time. Um, you know, it's a really defining part of our lives. You know, it brought me to London and I'm still here 16 years later. And that probably wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for that time of, of music and, and stuff like that, which is, you know, weird to think looking back how, how that actually happens. But thank you for taking the time to speak to me tonight. It's a Wednesday evening in November 2020. We're all at home. We're all in lockdown 2.0. I think it's safe to say this year has been, you know, pretty interesting. So I guess I have to start by asking how you guys have found this year. Um, well, I'll start with that one because 
lockdown has obviously been really weird. Like, it's not the best time for anyone, is it? But, like, it's actually... I've actually taken, like, some good out of it as well because I just started, started like, concentrating on music a bit more, which I haven't done for a while. So it actually hasn't been too bad. Um, and obviously we're all missing each other, but we've... Uh, me and you got to see each other a little bit in, in between, didn't we, Lloyd? Yeah, we squeezed in a, a patent injury air, so which is quite interesting. Now, just in, in the lull in between two lockdowns, it was good. For, it was good fun. We've got all in the same room. Tom comes up quite a bit, obviously, because his family's up here. So, as soon as the lockdown eased and he could and it was safe, we got together. So that rehearsal was interesting. We had, I guess, we had grand ideas of maybe writing some or recording some, but we just ended up playing Strokes covers and getting pissed. <laughs> Isn't that how you started? Isn't that <laughs> how you much. started out? Yeah, it's got, we went full circle. But for oh, me. Lockdown's been straight. I, I ain't stopped working really because I, I work for a charity uh, supporting young people. So while people getting furloughed or work, I mean, I do work for the most part at home. I was in doing food relief and emergency stuff and uh, supporting the vulnerable. And also, it's been it's been a busy year for me. Uh, squeezing a bit of music and a bit of extracurricular stuff. I run a couple of online. Well, I've run an online festival this year, political thing, which we usually do as a proper festival. So I've been busy. But it's uh, yeah, it's just strange, busy. Been good, been some good come out of it, like yeah. Tom says. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, no, I think I agree, and I think people, um, as, as horrible it's been for a lot of people, and, and a lot of things have been bad. Some, some, you know, there was a lot of good that's come out of it, and kind of the way people have kind of changed their lives and focused on different things. So that's good to hear. You've both found some good in it, and um, it leads me on to, I guess, how the world now is very different to when you first burst onto the music scene, but. Rick and I were talking about this and we were thinking, kind of, is it? Because one of the things that's kind of happened in lockdown is illegal parties and raves and, you know, as official gigs and, and kind of the music industry has taken a bit of a, a strange turn. So can you cast your minds back to, you know, set the scene for what the music kind of scene was back like back then in the kind of mid-noughties and, you know, the squat parties where you made your name and all those sorts of things? Well, what, I will yeah. say, what I will say before we go into that is, if there was Zoom back then, we wouldn't have had to drive down to London to have all our fucking meetings and things. <laughs> We'd have just done it sat in all or from the pub. Nah. Anyway, go on, Tom. Yeah, um, I was going to say that's basically where it started for us, isn't it? Apart from, apart from obviously starting in Hull, like, you know, our first shows playing as like a cover band pretty much, weren't we? Like, we started off with a few of our own songs, but then also playing stuff like the hives and pixies and the strokes. Um, but yeah, like all the, all them illegal squat parties was kind of where, where we started just getting invited to them. Um, them little like Portuguese punk rave things or whatever you want to call them. But, um, yeah, I mean, they were loads of fun. Right. I, I, yeah, totally. I think, like Tom says, we played in Hull, and there was like there is a there is a even there is now and back then there's a cool music scene, loads of different genres in Hull. But we was real young, we didn't really know it was going on. We was, I guess, the first kids in Hull at that time, two thousand and one, wearing Converse and leather jackets, thinking we were in the Ramones or, or then the Strokes. So we were playing these like little gigs here and there, and we made a few connections through, I, I guess, through going to the Libertines gigs and the way they were with people. There was always getting you in dressing rooms. Mutual friends with the Libertines, a guy called Scarborough Steve, who was in the Libertines. He got us a gig up in, in Scarborough, funnily enough. He went back home. 
and he pro he said, I'll get you a gig in London. And, and we thought we was going to go to a gig gig. So like, we was going to go play some like the Water Rats. Or, I mean, we didn't know any of the venue names. Thought, here we go. We're going to do something like the Adelphi in Hull, but in London. Got on a train, got off the train with our real cheap equipment. And Scarborough Steve and some junkie, I guess. Not the guy who didn't look very well. So there we go. We got the a lot of people didn't look very well back in those days, have to say. <laughs> we looked all right. It was a year you, guys, you, you guys were the exception, I think. I think it's because we were young. <laughs> Are you sure then, then? Yeah, well, it, later on it didn't look that well, did we? But I remember, I remember coming out of King's Cross Station and with Scarborough Steve and this, this guy. And he goes, there you go, and pointed to his left. So we're playing in there. And it was, it's not there now. It's called uh, the Lighthouse Building. It was, uh, it's not far from the Scala in, in King's Cross. And he went, what do you mean? And then he went, yeah, and he took us in. It's a break in through a window and took us into a bedroom because it was that we was there really early. It was on the night. And, and he was like, oh, this is exciting. And, uh, and then a lot of people proceeded to do hard drugs in front of us. And we'd never seen that. And we're like, whoa, what we're doing? Wait, wait, wait a minute. This isn't, this isn't the water rats. But later on, it got we had this in this big building because people living in all these rooms. There was this like hall on like the third floor or something, and, and there was a PA set up. We played. These Portuguese punk guys played. Played. It was like kind of friends of the Parkinsons, which was cool. We was like, wow, that's cool. You know the Parkinsons. And do you remember Selfish Cunt as well? Yeah, yeah. He played, and he, I remember him spraying Great Britain is shit in, with spray paint on the wall, and I'm going, oh, this is cool. So at first we was disappointed for a bit, then we thought we're in the middle of this here. Uh, it was exciting. We did a few like that, didn't we? We did yeah. Gunter Grove with Pete and Coppers yeah. came. The Coppers came to all of them. I mean, the Gunter I mean, Grove. I mean, uh, no, I don't think we ended up playing a full set any of them, did we? Yeah. Either, which was, you know, I mean, until we started playing the ones at like the Ribbon Factory and stuff, where we'd um, we'd be playing at three in the morning, and you know, that was the first chance that we actually got to play a proper set. I think, wasn't it? And that yeah. was when. That was when like Alan McGee was there and he saw us and wanted to sign us, basically, wasn't it? Oh, uh, you sound like the Saints. That's a bad accent. Yeah. Oh, is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, and I went and the lads was like, who's the Saints? I was like, I fucking know the Saints. I will have that. And he went, I'll sign you for a single deal. I guess the squat scene, the, the original squat scene was there was loads of cool bands, there was a community spirit, but there was probably not that many opportunities and networks for us to go the next step. But once we started to play with like the kind of wider shambles libertine scene and getting into the rhythm factory which was a big deal i realized we were our peers at the time a lot of people thought, at first thought we were from london and then they had to speak and went hang on what's this all about you're not from london but there was all in bands the rocks the rakes unstrung special needs all in bands and we, we was all playing these all-nighters and that mcgee was there mcgee at the time i think was managing the libertines when pete got back in the band so he was looking around with his pop turns label for what's 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 coming from the Libertines, what's the sick bands that are influenced by him. So I think out of them bands, all of us got some sort of record deal that Rocks did. I think the Rocks got slated by the enemy, called them Cam Camdenite Twatoids. I don't think they did that well out of it. <laughs> <laughs> enemy weren't nice to that many bands at the time. No, I mean, they weren't that nice to us originally. At first, it was a bit harsh, but then Mark Beaumont got, did give us some good reviews uh, later down the line. But... I, when we got within that rhythm factory scene, that's when we first experienced the the, the kindness, the almost sometimes the, the the healthy rivalry between all those bands, and some it came from that for most of us, and we did we did pretty good out of that to be honest. What was uh, what was Alan McGee like to work with? Oh, it's Ramalama Lloyd. Who's <laughs> this? Uh, yeah, he was. Um, 
he was a legend, wasn't he? He, he was crazy. Like just as you'd, ima- you'd like imagine from all the stories and that from the nineties. Like I think he was just he was pretty much uh, still feeling that, wasn't he? When when he was managing us, he loves yeah. rock. He loves rock and roll music. And, he loves uh, rock and yeah. roll music, and so he gets excited by it. So like when people, I guess, sort of heard when he was signing the Super Fair Animals, everyone was going, "Why are you signing Super Fair Animals?" The crazy Welsh dudes singing in Welsh. Uh, and he signed them all when 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 he was when, when with us guys. He was like, I guess he could see and hear not just in us but some of the other bands that like spirit of 77, 78. Yeah, the fact that we were from Hull, we were a gang, we stood out accent wise from most of the bands. And I think he just gets excited by it. He he wanted to put out a demo version of a single. He played it on his Def Disco radio, and it was a really crudely recorded demo of the song Twenty One, which ended up on the album. And we went, he didn't have any money, he said, I'll just put it out for you. And we went, no, we'll re-record that if it's all right. And he went, I'll do what you want. I like it. I like the spirit. And we did, and, and he put it out for us. And Yeah, it was good, because I guess we it did it on, there was no press, really, a little bit in the enemy when we was on tour with Eastern Lane or something. There was no real press, but because he was championing us, that's your press, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. took notice. And, and we went in at 47, We've, we've just just him saying we were good and we played on a bit of BBC radio. Uh, I think it's pre six music as well, to be honest. And it did all right, and then it led to major deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds. I was going to ask you if it was all chaotic, as, as chaotic as it seemed from the outside, but I think it probably was. And you, you mentioned he loves rock and roll, so there was there's a term grot and roll <laughs> um, back then, which was kind of firmly centred around you know the Libertines and Baby Shambles, and in particular Pete, <clears throat> obviously. He was kind of like the, the 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 king of it, wasn't he? What was it like being around him at that time? Libertines fans weren't with Tom, so it was I mean, yeah. we're young. I'm 22, he's yeah. 20 or whatever. So we're like I looking mean, up, going, oh, wow. It's like yeah, being in a room just, with Liam Gallagher was, in the 90s or something. It was, it was just super exciting for us, if anything, at the start, wasn't it? It was like, you know, we, we were just buzzing to be playing like these gigs with our heroes at the time, I guess, you know, like they had influenced us massively. Like, well, the, the Strokes came out and then it was like, you know, they were the British Strokes or whatever. So like being around that was started off being obviously the fans, like you say, but then we became really good mates and yeah, I guess it was complete chaos at times and like, but it, it made us, you know, like our fan base grew massively through that as well. Like we we had the same fans as the Libertines and yeah. and, and Pete around that. So it was just like, yeah, it, it was great. It was chaotic. It was fun, and we was in the like the in the middle of it all, playing music after the gig. There'd be acoustic guitars kicking around. So he'd be asking you, Lloyd, you write the songs, don't you? Or most of them, just play me one of your songs, and you go, fucking, I'm going to play you one of my songs. You go, oh, I like that, and you go, oh, I wrote this song, and then you'd. You wouldn't see him for a couple of weeks. You'd do a couple of gigs and then you'd get a phone call saying, I'm going to go. There was this this TV show on Channel 4 where he, I remember because he had like a really crap David Bowie zigzag on his face and he picked yeah. his favourite songs and he said, this is the band I'm really into. And he put us, he picked us and they put the video of 21 at the time on just as we're putting it out. So at the same time, it was, it was encouraging his songwriting wise. He was interested and he always asked how he was doing and how your family was. And then at the same time, he championed your band. So... It was like a really, really dysfunctional <clears throat> uncle. Was he like a mad genius? Like, I think, 
that's sort of what he's portrayed as, isn't it? I think mad. Yeah, but mad. No, I'm trying to think of another word. He's out there. What I found about him, he is always doing music. Oh, I mean, I don't know what he's doing now. I mean, I see bits and I see the videos and his albums and things like that. But then there was always music going on, writing, listening, talking, encouraging. And it was almost like, I mean, he didn't go to bed much. So <laughs> you'd be like, for four days, it'd be like, it craft. You were, you were, the Shotters Nation album, talk, there's a documentary I once watched where they talk about how they wrote it. And a lot of it was wrote over four days without being asleep. And then at the end of it, Carry On Up In The Morning comes out of it, which is an amazing song. So He, he was like, he, you know, he was painted as the ringleader by the press and, and particularly the enemy. And there's a, an infamous photo shoot that you guys were part of at Buckingham Palace. And some of those yeah. photos still exist online. And actually we were looking at them the other day having a bit of a laugh because we do, I remember that article so well. And, you know, the, 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 the way it was positioned was Andrew was looking to try to position Pete with, you know, as the leader with, with, a, with all of the other bands kind of trailing in his wake and sort of like his disciples, I guess. Yeah. Do you think that positioning helped or hindered bands like such as yourselves and the other bands that were in it? It could have done both for us. I remember that day very well because I remember Dominic Masters and Pete Doherty throwing horse shit all over the shellfish <laughs> cunt and rubbing it in his face. We got invited to that and I don't think the enemy at the time knew we were from London. The thought we was, yeah. Sorry, the thought we were from London. But I remember it and, and to say, did it hinder us? I think it could have done because there was a lot of negative press around that. They were saying, oh, there's Libertines, Trius, Wannabes, <clears> people getting on the, on the bandwagon of that. But... I guess we proved a few people wrong. I think we did with the re release of our album, which didn't sound like the Libertines. It was produced differently. The music was different. I mean, they were stylized the way we looked in certain bits. But So I think some of the bands in that line, I remember because it, it was a line of musicians, did kind of release copyist albums. So Yeah, we, we, did, we did kind of detach ourselves a little bit, didn't we? Like a little bit further down the line. I don't think musically we was ever like them, to be honest. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the, yeah. The, and and some bands, some bands go for that kind of jam, blur, telling a story, Britishness, but sometimes with irony. So I'm not saying rule Britannia, but you know what I mean. That storytelling, that Ray Davis thing, mm. and where we never did that, we didn't. That we was we was. But it's easy to be put into the same, you know, if you're like, if you're a fan reading The Enemy, which was, was kind of the place for everyone to, 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 you know, to find out about new music and particularly in that scene back then, yeah. you wouldn't have been able to differentiate it, I guess, unless you really knew your band really well or, or whether yeah. you knew you, got, you guys personally. So I can kind of see why people did, you know, put you in that kind of bracket, I guess. But We, we were put there by ourselves and by that article. Like I said, when the album came out, and that's when we got our first decent review, Mark Bowman did a really good review. I was chuffed, I remember reading that. And it was like, everyone was expecting an independent Libertines copyist album, but this is not that. This is a punk album. This has got elements of the clash. This is, this is Northern young people, pissed off, disillusioned, living in Hull, coming to London and singing. And, and, it, and, and I guess we, that was the point, in a way, musically, People maybe thought, all right, yeah. some people, because some people can't let it go, I guess. Not that I'm bothered. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, like, I'm just thinking back to some of the other bands that were in there. You probably did do a lot better than a lot of the bands that were in there in, in that photo shoot as well. Do you remember who was in it? So I remember the others, Selfish Cunt. Um, I remember the Rakes were in it. Yeah. 
I haven't got the photos up now, but yeah, I was having a look the other day. All yeah, dogs. There were dogs. They were in it. Yeah, and they did Neil's, did nothing came at Neil's, Neil's children. children. Neil's children. Yeah, the hair. Yeah. Remember yeah. seeing the yeah. hair? Do you know what? Just as a side note, Neil's a couple of members of Neil's children are in a band called Girls on Synthesis. I think they're called. They play whole all the time. They're oh, fucking no way. brilliant. Really? Yeah, they're really, yeah, they're really good. Get them on the podcast. No, they're yeah, really but, good. Do you know them? Can you put me in touch? No, I, I, they came and played Hull, and, and we, I said, "Do you remember us?" And he was like, "Fucking hell, it's years." But a friend of mine in Hull's in a band called Evil Litter, and uh, when they come up, they always play. They're uh, the cool band, but Evil Litter, kind of like the Kills, is pretty cool. But I, I could find out for you. There you go. As a side note. Oh, wicked! Thank you. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I, I think that's that's true. But let's let's rewind for a minute. Because before you became friends with Pete and before that, you know, you appeared in the anime and before that, everything else like that, you, you formed in Hull, like you've said, you know, you're from Hull, proud to be from Hull uh, in the early noughties and, and made a name for yourselves at the local venues, like the Welly, I came and saw you at the Welly actually, great, and the Adelphi. Um, oh, yes. How did you how did you feel about building your career away from that spotlight in a city, in your hometown? Because I know you're very passionate about your hometown, right? Yeah, I mean, we knew it was shit, but we loved it, and it's a lot better now. But is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. It's better. I've not been since since then. We used to be voted. It was us in Middlesbrough, which is interesting because one of our mates, Jimmy Jukebox, who promoter, used to put us on. It was Middlesbrough. It was from Middlesbrough, Stockton, anyway. And it was always Middlesbrough and and and, and Hull that was the the um, sort of swapped over being the worst place to live in the country. But we are not in the top ten anymore, and we have been voted in probably the guardian which is a lot of shit but we probably we was voted the, one of the most the best emerging places to live but if you go on my council state where i'm from originally it's still a bit gnarly yeah well how, yeah actually you just reminded me didn't it get voted like one of the best places for culture in in the uk we was the uk city of culture 2017 that was it, that was yeah. it yeah yeah and wow. we was it it was yeah it was great i was yeah obviously here then and I remember Tom because he had this big light projection in the city centre, and I was sat there watching it. And there was the, and it's like all the Hull heroes, so like Amy Johnson and uh, uh, William Wilberforce, the Emancipation of Slaves, and then at the, right at the end, little Tommy and Atkins' then, face came on. Tommy's <laughs> face, go on, lad. It's like, well, they had the house Martins. Where's the Paddingtons? But anyway. <laughs> But do you, do you, yeah, do you, do you, um, you know, how how was it building your kind of career away from? kind of the glare in London and, and and taking, you know, like you said, you were the only Northern ones. So how was that? I don't think we consciously thought about it because we were real young. I think it was opportunist because we somehow got like within sort of that Libertines network or getting those gigs in them squats like we mentioned before. We didn't consciously, it wasn't a conscious thing. We was excited about, I remember when we played the Adelphi is the greatest venue on the planet, still is, it's a house converted into a venue in Hull and it was like we played these boozers I remember we played a gig once and we lied to the venue this is really early and said we played Beatles and Stone songs and then then the, the, the landlord or landlady I can't remember saw the set list and it had the pistols on it and they went no you're not playing fucked us off no way <laughs> yeah they did and Marv got on his bike and got us another pub that night it was the first gig we ever did in a pub but our goal was well how do we get from here to the Adelphi just so we can be because we was a gang young kids just having fun and we, we invested all time in each other. And it was all about what can we just do next? What can yeah. we do next? There's no like, so when it comes to the question you're asking about how was it to detach and make that move, it just kind of happened. And then we was, we still did gigs in Hull. We probably did less. But then as we did more gigs in London, we just, it made more sense. It was more, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was more exciting and more fun. 
What um what jobs were you guys doing before you started the band? I worked at Bingo. <laughs> Did you? Uh, Did you miss it? Did you miss it? I remember. Yeah, I didn't, yeah. I enjoyed bingo. It was all right. I never, I never got to become a caller. Uh, wow. So what did think, you do then? I don't even know I think what. Me and me and Grant, me and Grant were working for my dad at the time, weren't we? Yeah, laggers. What's uh, what was that doing, Tom? Insulation. Believe it or not. Wow. In, From insulation in, to a rock and roll star. Interestingly yeah. enough, our Grant's a lagger now. He works with yeah, his dad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's gone full circle, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. I think he gets paid more than he did back then, though. <laughs> Does he have as much fun? Uh, I don't know. I, 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 he earns the money to have fun, I guess, on the yeah. weekend. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> um, and uh, you've you've you said who your kind of musical influences were, um, but uh, you know you've talked about you know um, not supporting um, covering covering things and the strokes that changed everything, and you also liked. Did you like Oasis? Was it? As kids, we did. Yeah, yeah I did. Yeah. Certainly. Yes. What did you think? That, what did you think to the negative uh, comment from Oasis? Oh, we oh, we loved it. It was <laughs> yeah, fully manufactured that, as well. It's kind of where we where we where we um, made friends, basically, isn't it, Lloyd? Like Oasis. we we were both into Oasis when we was about fifteen or sixteen. Got introduced to each other by um, by a friend who I went to school with, and then. Yeah, we met at this party and Lloyd had, Lloyd was like sat across the room from me with these pink sunglasses on and and I thought I thought he was alright actually at the time, weirdly. <laughs> <laughs> and then um yeah, we just started chatting about Oasis then and I, I wanted to be in Brown basically when I was when I was younger I wanted to be in Brown first and then it was like the Oasis thing. But um yeah, when he slagged us off it was a response, Tom, to something we actually said, though. That's what it was. It was, was that where it started? Yeah, and we've had a few run-ins with Liam Gallagher. Uh, not me personally, uh, but uh, I remember you got. he was going to you, Tom, at that party. Where's your Supersonic? After you played yeah. in Panic Attack, and you're like, oh, where's yours? You didn't like, you didn't like Supersonic. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, Nick did that as well. Yeah, maybe you did. Why, maybe you that's said, why he slagged me off. You turned up to a party with somebody who shall not name with no shoes on, I believe, and, and it was Liam Gallagher was there. Yeah, that, that was it. <laughs> that's true, isn't it? No, but there were, when he said the Paddingtons are just fucking awful, that's what he said, right? But if you if you look if you remember rightly, it was a few basically loads of bands in 2005. Their press officers or whatever said, right, come on, Oasis have got a new album out what we're going to say about it. So, like, the uh, Kaiser Chief said something and uh, Block Party said something that was probably not that offensive, but a little sly dig. I can't remember what they exactly said. And we sat down, I remember sat down with our press officer, Tony Hopkins, and we went, right, what we're going to say? And I remember Josh writing, what does that fat, toothless wanker know about popular youth culture? Because <laughs> he'd put a bit of weight on and he's got his teeth knocked out by some German businessman, didn't he, in a bar? And, and then Oasis came back and they said, Block Party just look like a, a team from University Challenge. Uh, Cars of Chiefs are like, we've got Blair. I hate Blair. I hate Cars of Chiefs or something like that. And then it just said the Paddingtons are just fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> we was like, get it. I remember it was in the sun. I fucking hate the sun. Oh, brilliant. Um, so you've, you've told me some funny stories, but I want to hear more. Have you got... You know, anything that comes to mind, you know, that was memorable 
yeah, you probably got a lot of time and you can't really remember a lot of stuff as well. But was there, was you know, was it just the rock and roll cliche? Was there, was there more to the Paddingtons as well? Or not just more to the Paddingtons? What was, what was it like being in the Paddingtons? Full of rock and roll cliches, but yeah, we'd read all the books. Right. We'd read all the books, the kids, that kids' books. What mind about the books around Oasis and all them things and you're reading. I was an avid reader of <clears throat> music biographies and, so when you when you're when you're when you're reading about Oasis's press officer and producer, and when you get signed, you've got Oasis's press officer and their producer is yours. You you live in the dream. So you you fall into those traps. And traps is probably the wrong word, but it was it was a good it was good fun. Plenty of cliches, but then there was some genuine, not genuine, but like because it's us lads from all who we threw everything in together. We had a laugh. Pop constantly i mean yeah and we got into some scrapes i remember when we played in turkey we played, there's yeah. two real good scrapes one, one in turkey played this festival i remember it because dread zone was on after us dread zone they're kind of like a glastonbury sort of reggae sort of dance act anyway there was in the dressing room was hanging around with them but we played this this gig and it was on this big stage a lot of people there didn't know who we were they were going mental it was great fun and we did the let's pretend we're in nirvana thing so last song, and we kick through our guitars all over. They're our, it's our guitars, throwing them all over. Maybe an amp got pushed over, which would have been the festival's backline, and we walked off, thinking we were the dog's bollocks. And we had a, a, a guy called French David, David, and he was our guitar tech, and he was hard as nails, French kid, like a Mohican slap back and leather jacket. And it, it, he, was out, he, was, he had to clean up the stage. And we're in the, this dressing room, like, celebrating, having a right good laugh going for it and then he comes in and he's had to fight all this Turkish road crew off going to, to trying to batter us and he's defending us at the door and he comes in and goes like fucking hell mate I've just had to fight and we're like what we didn't even know what was going on we just it was oblivious to some of the shit that we was doing <laughs> and all like when we did that Milan gig where we did the, like these fashion gigs quite a bit we did this gig in Milan and they set this stage it was going live on TV and um, do you remember it was, it was like in like a it looked like it felt like an air hanger Massive place, all these like fashionista people, there's catwalk things going on, and there was a oh, stage. Yeah. Was, it, was it for Diesel or something like that? Something like that. And it was in Milan, I remember that. But they set the stage up, and it was like not, it was not set up as a gig, it was set up to look good on TV or whatever. So there was like, there's no thought from a musician point of view. And, uh, and again, it involved stage crew chasing us to a dressing room because Grant was on this riser right in the corner, drum riser, and they put this smoke machine on him. And for whatever reason, all the smoke just gathered around this drum riser. So you couldn't, so all you could hear is Grant going, fuck, I got this fucking shit on. And when we finish, again, he does the Dave Grohl thing, and this isn't his drum kit. It's like put in there for him, he's booting it all over. And again, we go into the dressing room, and we're like, we're celebrating, we've had a good time. And there's literally all the Italian road crew banging on the door. And we, David again was like going, you've done it again, you've done it again. <laughs> Shit like that. Oh we, did, we were just oblivious, oblivious to what we were actually fucking doing. Because <laughs> we're daft and young and along for the ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking, you just talked about fashion there. I was going to move on to talk about, um, uh, you know, catching the attention of McGee and, and Liam and Pete and also the fashion designer, uh, Idis Laman, who based a collection on your iconic style. Um and I and asked you to model for him. Isn't that mad? Like, how did that come about? Didn't ask anybody to model for him other than Tom. He <laughs> <laughs> liked Tom. So, Tom, this is a question for you. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess he just, we just met him, like, uh, did we meet him in Paris, Lloyd? Yeah. 
he, he was just always around, like, taking pictures. He was a photographer as well, like, a really good photographer as well. And, um, you know, he, he was just always around taking pictures, and he was obviously a really, like, head designer at Dior or whatever. And, yeah, I guess, like, he just used to send us, like, well, he used to send me, like, some free Dior stuff, and he used to invite us to the shows, uh, which was, that you know... At the end of the day, they were pretty good parties to go to, like for us as a band, you know. Yeah, and like going on, and it and it comes, it it goes hand in hand, doesn't it? Like, I mean, it always has been like a thing, right? Like music and fashion, and I guess I guess people liked us because we looked like little scruffy, cool kids at the time. I guess I don't know. There was that book on there he did. It was like because his photography was separate. I guess. Well, it was a separate venture to his fashion designing, but obviously they're interlinked because they influence him. <clears> that book he wrote or took pictures for was called London Loves, and I remember that because it was all the bands. Oh, was it like uh, Birth of a Cult or something? Yeah, I think that was it, actually. Yeah, and I remember it was like a big, it was like, you know, like a, a coffee table book, really. You know, with big pages, and there's yeah. a picture, couple of pictures of you in there. And uh, and they were cool. They were really good, good cool pictures. And then, it, that, then that fashion sort of went into his range and it became high fashion and it started to look ridiculous and then before you know it the top top man have got their version of it and yeah. like, so you so you what how does it feel to have been kind of at the forefront of that and going from the Paddingtons in Hull to being an inspiration for one of the best designers in the world one of the best fashion brands in the world personally uh, I, I didn't like I, well I didn't I liked it but I fought against it that, that yeah, whole Milan story I, was about that. Was we was being wankers because we didn't quite like it, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I think at first, like we didn't really know what the fuck was going on and didn't really give a shit because, like, we just wanted to play music. But yeah, I guess it just. I mean, it, it was nice. To, it, it, yeah, it just happened, and it was nice to get free shit out of it at the end of the day. You got well, some real did. good suits. That suit yeah, you had for years. Dior yeah, suits are expensive. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. they had shit all amazing. over them by the end of a gig. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember Grant. Grant. Uh, Grant's quite stocky. My brother, the drummer, and like, and uh, it's almost like a little triangle. And so we get all these suits sent, and I mean, I barely get into them. I've got fairly broad shoulders. Grant was like, "How the fuck am I going to wear this?" <laughs> so he flogged it. And he flogged it and got good money. I bet, yeah. yeah. It's like thousands of pounds worth yeah. of suits. But, um, yeah, that's, it is interesting, isn't it, how, how, how that can change so quickly. But uh, another thing I wanted to, to talk about is um, I, was, I was listening back to back to some of your songs, actually, the other day, and um, we're listening to some of the lyrics. And actually, I was a bit shocked, like, thinking about the lyrics in Panic Attack, um, particularly the one where it goes, if you want to die, go on and commit suicide. And it just really shocked me because... The world has moved on and changed so much. Like people didn't talk about mental health back in those days, and it's been a massive discussion over the last couple of years, and particularly in the music industry, actually. And we something Rick and I have talk, talked on, talked about and touched on um, with with other people uh, in the past, and just wanted to kind of see, you know, what how you reflect on those lyrics, and do you think that's something you'd be writing now? And and um, if not, what would you be writing about now? Tommy, you don't you don't mind I, if I go? Yeah, yeah, go, I'll, yeah. Go only on. because we didn't. Most of our music wasn't about anything like 
on point about anything. It was feelings, it was good things, things that had happened that day, all merging to stuff, imagery. Some there were some songs that were about we wouldn't have said it then. I, I'm a youth worker now, so it's issue based. And like I think, Panic Attack was about mental health and I, drug addiction, I, I, and that's what it's about. Yeah. We didn't realise it. I think Panic Attack comes across like a bit different than what it actually is about though. Do you know what I mean? I think I think with that song, like some people take from it something completely different of what it is actually about. So what, what what was it? Re- what what did you mean for it to be about then? People we knew directly yeah. who somebody, were killing themselves through yeah, it's, hard it's drugs. Yeah, yeah, basically about somebody who was close to us uh, that was had an addiction, and it, it was. It's basically saying like you, you're going a bit, you know, this is going a bit too far. But we know that you don't want to kill yourself, but you kind of are. Uh, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I mean, because behind that song, it's two songs glued together. So Tom's, yeah. he wrote that, that the, 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 the course line, go commit suicide, that's Tom's bit. And then I write, I wrote the second bit and we glued it together. And man's, my bit, I guess is the retort to it, it's the positive end to it. We don't, we don't overtly say it, but it's almost like, here you are, you, you don't have to do that. I mean, subconsciously, we were probably thinking about it that way, but at the time, we knew it was about addiction, probably knew it was a, a, about mental health, but I don't, not overtly, I think we, we, we was just saying, hang on, don't do this. Whereas when I listen to it now, it's almost like, hang on, don't do this, because you, you can talk to somebody about it, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Did anyone ever pick up on, on the lyrics? Did anyone ever talk to you, like, you know, ask you about it and what it meant and, and things like that? Or, or no? Not really. And that no, because that's, re- that's the bit that's really interesting to me. It's yeah. Back in those, it, does, it was probably just, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't talked about. You say you work in mental health, with mental health now, Lloyd? Sort of. No, I, I work for a charity in Hull that supports young people into work. It supports young people through social inclusion projects. And an element of that is supporting people who are suffering from low-level mental health issues. If there's anything that becomes more acute and say, more than, to go into primary sort of support, we refer into local partners. But yeah, we do. I got into it by doing music at the end of the Paddington's. I started off volunteering, playing music with kids. And yeah. uh, it's, oh, nice. I've been doing it 10 years, it's good. Oh, that sounds really good. Good to, good to give your skill back and help, I guess, the community, isn't it? Now I was going to kind of move on to asking you about uh, your own stuff, Tom. So you, you've just released a single, haven't you? So do you want to tell us a bit more about that and how that's come about? And um, have you done it on your own? Have you written with anyone? You know, how, how's it all kind of worked out? Well, yeah, it's basically me writing on my own. But like then I've been working with a producer. Um, it's I've found it quite difficult to like get comfortable with working with, with other people since like the end of the Paddington's as well because like you know obviously we were in a band together for so long and like it was just so natural for us to like work together and and it and it felt you know normal for us but like trying over the years I've like tried to write with a few different people and not really not that I haven't enjoyed it but like not really got anywhere with it um but then I've been sat on this specific bunch of songs for like a few years like I actually recorded them a few few years ago with my mate Lewis uh he's called Lewis Belber and like it finally like just felt pretty good for the first time in ages to actually sit and 
we were bouncing off each other like really well like um and yeah in lockdown it just we had a, we were chatting to each other quite a lot and it just we just decided like it'd be a good time to get it together and like actually finalize it and we mixed it all and mastered it and stuff like that and then um yeah it just went from there so like that's what i was saying about lockdown earlier on like it's given me time it's given me time out to to actually like focus on putting an ep together and that's where that's where it's got to now so like yeah i released i released the first single last week called little fucker um he's quite a good guitar player not like us yeah he is he is he's very good um (laughs) he um yeah, so so going going talking about the song, that first single is um, like Lloyd was saying, like it's like definitely like the um, the most personal like stuff that I've ever done. I think like that that's that song, the first single, in is like that one's actually about myself as well, and like kind of kind of like losing myself a little bit and not really knowing who I am anymore and like taking things for granted it's kind of it's kind of just like me talking to myself i guess is it hard to put yourself out there like that have you found it quite hard i'm not i'm not gonna lie yet it felt weird like i've been really excited like the build-up to it and stuff and like just it, it was just like it's been something really it's been like good to focus on music again and like um but yeah it felt weird and well, on the day on uh, like even the night before, we're like I couldn't sleep and stuff, and it was just like it felt like a it felt like a big deal to me because I, I guess it is. But um, there's there's actually not that much pressure on it either this time around either. And the it's style good. is very different as well. If you like talk us through the the kind of style of music it is, it's very very different to what you did with the Paddingtons, right? Where have you yeah, got that inspiration so, from? Yeah, uh, I, I still like to think like because. I still like to think there's a little bit of that in there because it, it, it's still, I don't know, I guess it's kind of still punky, but it, it is it is, uh, it is very different. And I think it's just a mixture of like me being into like, because we, we were all, us lot, like me and you, Lloyd, we have like very similar taste in music uh, in some in some ways, don't we? Yeah, very much so. Lo-fi indie punk, nasty stuff. But then I, I then then I have like some guilty pleasures that are like probably more pop, like and Lloyd Lloyd never under, understands it. Like what? Give me, give me an example of what. But like also, pleasure also is. like even like this the, the the like trap scene that's been going on over the past however many six years or whatever it is. Like with I don't little know what it is. Yeah, Lloyd, Lloyd, I try, even when we have... Well, it's we a have very lovely thing, I think, though, isn't it? If, if me and Lloyd ever get smashed together at a little house party, I always try and uh, put it on and he's like, fuck off, you're not, you're not playing that shit. But I, I, I can't, I like I can't help but love it, though. I can't help but love it. And, and I guess, like, some of that is coming out in it a little bit, but... Do you know what? I don't, wanna, I don't want to chip slightly. in, but... I don't want to chip in too much because it's your music, mate, but... And I know Tom musically, and I know him personally very well. When you listen to that little fucker song, 
I, it's, I, I can hear Tom Atkins' music in there. It, 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 it's the chord progression, the melody. It's like it's there, which is maybe Paddington-esque. Maybe it's a bit like what he was, was doing right at the end. And I guess the production value, and like I said about the, the musician you're playing with, that's what makes it different. But the song yeah. is Tom Atkins through and through. So yeah. I can, I, and I've, I've heard all of the tracks of this EP, and I, I, I hope the next one is the one I think it is, which is a banger. It's fucking brilliant, man. Yeah, yeah, that's the the one that's like quite pixies. Yeah. So, so what's, like my, what's your plan then, Tom? <clears throat> um, that's a good question. Uh, but you know, this is just getting the ball rolling for me again. I think like this is my plan. There's not a lot of pressure. I'm going to put another single out in January, and then the EP is going to follow that probably uh, in March, start of March, and then I, I want to eventually start. I'm going to put a band together to play live and then, um, yeah, I'll, pl- I'll play some shows. Yeah, I want to play some shows and then I've started writing an album. Is that a no, so... though? <laughs> you can play a bit if you want. But that, that you've said it now, nice one, cheers. I'll come yeah, down. You'll, and... like, you, you'll, have to, you'll have to take a lot of time out there to come down here. Oh, whatever. Yeah, you're probably right. Ke- I'll, stick, I'll my... stick to my folk music. Carry my note, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you will, mate. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I want to write an album next year. I want to I want to make a proper album next year, full length, and um, see what happens. Like you say, I don't, I I don't have a lot of pressure on me at the minute, and it it that's probably a good thing. Yeah, definitely. What about the fan base? Have you noticed that some of the old kind of Paddington's fans are coming out of the woodwork to support you? I think I think so. Yeah, I think I've yeah. Had, you know I've had a yeah. yeah there will be and I've had quite a lot of nice you know comments and like DMs on my Instagram or whatever and yeah it's been pretty good I'm I'm, I'm happy with it up to now oh good well good good luck with it like it's I've, I have Thank listened to it it's, it's it's good but I, I did think it was you know different uh, to Paddington's but I really really liked it so I'm yeah. interested to see where the rest of it goes as well yeah yeah and um, I'm excited to do it now but like I think I think it did surprise a few people. Definitely, you know, people just. I think I don't know what people were expecting, but well, that's the thing. You never know what to expect, do you? I mean, it's you definitely. It's always always definitely not going to be like a carbon copy of what you were doing before. So Mm. it's always really interesting to see what what direction people go into. Do you reckon any of the other um, members of the band are going to go back into into music, or are they done? Uh, I don't know. Josh was doing skaters for a bit. They were cool. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know. Lloyd, what's Josh what are you up doing? to now? He's just he, had. He, there's only one parent to anyone got kids. Baby. So yeah, he's he's on baby two. So the only one who's not got kids is uh, Marv, the guitar player Marv. So Josh is on. As soon as Josh had a, a whale of a time for about four years with skaters, so the band split up. He, he moved to the states and. That first skaters record, there's some songs on there that are absolutely brilliant, and I, mm. it, it almost happened. It almost happened. The Santa Warner, so he had, he is the only guy in the band who's had two major record deals, proper ones. And uh, I remember going to see him. At, uh, went to see him for a few times, a few gigs actually. I remember supporting him with Cardo, our mate, his band, and we we supported him. I was in his band, and I, I remember seeing him. And there was a couple of songs that songs scene, uh, schemas. It's fucking brilliant, man. It's like. Really, really good. And they did two albums. Second album was pretty good as well, but the first album's a banger. Real good. 
And I don't missed, know. Missed that missed team, Massachusetts. Yeah, that, that no good. The intro is banger. basically a rip-off of Elastica, though. But other than that, it's a banging song. Uh, yeah, yeah. Why am I saying banging a lot? <laughs> I don't need to say that. Is that, is that not your? Is that a new thing? Demotate no, special. Yeah, you've been you've been hanging around with the kids too long, aren't you? Yeah, oh, they took the piss out of me. I was in a band, you know. Yeah, was yeah. <laughs> I bet they were. Yeah, I bet they've got no idea. That's hilarious, isn't it? Just go. I just got like a couple more questions. Just kind of going back to um, going going back to the scene, really, and all of the other bands. You know, we talked about them earlier. We've got Pete and Baby Shambles and the Rakes, Dogs, Art Brute, The Unstrung, Neil's Children. You know, what are they doing now? Have you, have you kept in touch with any of them? Um, cribs. We're still in touch. You, you, you are yeah. the the cribs. Yeah, I talked to the Cribs quite a bit. They're, they're just bringing a new album out, which is meant to be banging, which banging loads. Banging. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's meant, it's meant to be great, that. And, uh, yeah, the, the others, do the others still do? I can't remember. Do you know what? The others do. i they might do some shows every now and again. Every now and again, yeah, again but, they do it. And probably got, a, cheap, a cheap carriage somewhere near you. I, 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 I've yeah, got, yeah. I, I, don't, I haven't seen Dom, Dominic for years, but what I liked about Dominic is... When he'd start to get the others back together, he'd uh, it, it appear on Facebook all of a sudden to 2013-14 and he'd get posts where he'd describe his whole day in one post. <laughs> I've just I've just had bacon and eggs and with some cherry tomatoes and the drummer, <laughs> the new drummer who's flown from us, uh, Estonia is on his way. We're going to read... And he'd just go... These posts were like Longer. literally what he'd done. And then they'd play a, a, a two shows and then he'd, you wouldn't see him four years so... I don't know. You've chatted to him recently. I mean, yeah, Dom, well, I Dom, did, I did he said mad. Dom is the maddest. Yeah, he's he's mad. I remember well, I mean, going to all sorts in, of parties with him and just being in awe of how mad he was. Sure. Marv said in the last podcast we discussed some similar about being at Dom's house and you'd go do a gig in London and then you'd end up going to Dom's house. Yeah. And there would be literally 90 people in a flat in or down Brick Lane. And they'd be Brilliant. like... I've been there, weren't there? The first layer of the party from two days ago were asleep on every space on the floor and you'd be walking around and then you'd go to sleep and some of the ones on the bottom would go and then he'd go, right, we'll get you on the train. Yeah, and Dom wouldn't go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that first album was brilliant, but God knows what he's doing now. I've heard he works he's back in the city, being a city boy, doing his job, what he did originally, but... Whatever that job is. I was going to say, what's that? I don't know. Yeah, I don't I've heard know. someone say it before. He's had a haircut to get back into the city. <laughs> I think he has. Tom, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, I mean, do you know what? He still had the, st- the same stripey T-shirt on when, when I spoke to him on the podcast. He put yeah, it on stripe. for that reason, though, didn't he? He probably did. He probably, probably still hadn't washed it either. Pretty but, um, what was the kamikaze stage diving division? We were part yeah, of that. The, the 853. Yeah, just literally diving and getting caught, getting caught by somebody. And if you didn't get caught, your neck would have been broken on the floor in Northampton at some oh, gig. That's not a way to go, is it? No, 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 no. I think, I think um, with all the other bands, I'm not, sure, I'm not really sure what anyone's doing, but I think we should all get back together and play a festival or show or something. Yeah. Oh, That'd please do. Please yeah, for, do. for Johnny Rhythm. For Johnny Rhythm. Yes. The Riven Factory promoter, our, our friend Johnny Riven, who he tragically died of cancer really, really young. Oh, and he was the guy who put the gigs on at the Riven Factory. Oh, right. So we, maybe we should, Tom. Call to arms. Yeah. Can we do it in Ulver? It's easier, isn't it? For me. <laughs> For you. Yeah. No, we'll, do it in, we'll do it in Wolverhampton. Yeah, yeah. 
the Iron Bridge, under the Iron Bridge, Telford. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, keep me in the loop around that. But oh, I've got one last question, which is, do you think, you know, the scene petered out, I guess, like New Rave came along and then God knows what came along after that. It all just stopped. Stopped really being music scenes like that, I guess. Um, it's not really the same today. Do you think there'll ever be... Um, a scene like the London grot and roll scene that was that was in the mid noughties ever again. Uh, I mean, I think there is st- I, similar stuff now. I think like Fat White Family and stuff. That there's stuff going on there. I don't know whether it gets the same. Because I think I, I like that band, but they they kind of came from that, from the like, the metros and bands like that. And they've got there is a bit of that going on, but I, I, I guess it's not as high profile. Yeah, it's not because I mean I guess uh, there's no enemy anymore, is there? So where well, do people go now for the? That's what I mean. It's all become a bit disjointed. I think like the media and stuff, and social media doesn't really help with that. Yeah, I, just I mean, think I, it, I think it's all kicking off in other genres though. Like that that whole like community vibe is like happening in America probably. Like in in all this in whatever other genres that you know, you know whatever's kicking off. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I read that, you know, like Idols. I mean, I like Idols. Mm. They're a good band. But it took, it almost took like that every journalist from every single magazine had to give them the nod for them to become where they were. But there's but the, there's a scene around that band. There's a band from Hull called Life. so And they're kind of around Idols. And there's a couple of other bands that are involved in that. So I guess it, but again, you're probably, you're probably right because the enemy is literally an online clickbait thing, which is kind of like, promoting top shop or something now do you know what I mean? it's not an actual hard magazine you buy you invest your time in and find out about the scene so maybe maybe it is going along going on in the english scottish uk uh, guitar scene but people don't know about it because the, the the stories behind those bands that back in the noughties and obviously pre previous to that and and the scene the the, the print magazine stuff and it all and then the baby shambles and Doherty or whatever whatever bands at the time became the band i think it's almost like I don't know, maybe it's because there's no money in the music industry. It's got to be signed and stamped by journalists, by people who are involved in the band, and then it's like almost, there you go, now you can be the guitar band of the country. And what's going on around it, that band in particular with like bands like Life and stuff, it gets maybe unrecognised. Life, though, are the best band Hull's got at the moment. Well, long shot. I haven't heard of them, but now yeah. I have, and I'll go and listen to them. No, so they've got two good two albums, two, two albums nice. they've got, and they're really good. Do you know really what the good. do you know what the greatest band of all time is? And I, I, I say this on, on on every other day. It's a different band, but McCluskey. Fuck me, they are brilliant. Do you remember uh, McCluskey? Yeah, yeah, I remember them. Yeah, I've been listening to them constantly. Unbelievably good, and I missed them back then. The best band ever. So no. I've, I've learned some things. You've learned some things. <laughs> yes. we've, we've all learned something today. But um, I'm going to let you guys go because uh, you've got dogs and kids <laughs> vying for your attention. Yeah. <laughs> this is not what I thought I'd be saying to you guys. Yeah, <laughs> this is how rock and roll has changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, thanks so much again for talking to me. It's been really fun. And um, yeah, yeah, we'll nice to catch up too. again. And we'll, t- we'll, we'll talk to you again when you're, more of your music's out, Tom. Oh, uh, yeah, that'll be up for that, definitely. Nice yeah. Talk. And you can interview the bass player because um, you, you offered me a job, aren't you? Yeah, you can have it, mate. Cheers, mate. You, you, might, you, might, you might have to play on Zoom, though. It's fine. I'm going to quit my job. I've had enough of youth work. Yeah, let's do I it. I haven't, by the way. I'm going to say, you better not say that. That might stay in the recording. <laughs> <laughs> might be listening. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. Oh, all right. Brilliant. Take care. Good to see, see you ya. all. And nice one, Tom. See you soon, mate. See you soon, Bye. mate. See you in a bit. Bye. Bye. 
that was a really uh, interesting and insightful chat there, Sarah. And, you know, you said at the top of the interview that you hadn't seen them for 15, 16 years. And I guess quite a lot had changed for them. I mean, there were dogs and kids running around in the background. So was that was that kind of weird to see that they were, they were kind of different people? It was. It was a bit surreal, to be honest. Um, I mean, of course, it's going to happen because we're all, you know, in our 30s uh, now. So that's not, you know, that's something that happens in life. But it was a bit surreal. I won't I won't lie. But, you know, I think that he said that there's only one member of the band that hasn't got kids. And that's Marv. Um, I haven't got kids myself. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of like getting my, I don't have a dog either. I don't have any pets or anything like that. So kind of getting my head around that was quite interesting. It did make me laugh, though, because, um, you know, that's not what times were like back when I, I knew them for sure. And I was also quite surprised at how much they could remember, you know, talking about some of the excesses of the time. And you said it was quite a hazy time for you. But they did seem to have quite a good memory of of how that kind of scene t- came together and some of the interactions they had with uh, with Pete. And there's so many facets to that story, isn't there? You know, the way they worked with Alan McGee and, and the guy who produced Oasis' debut album and how they got into the fashion world. So, you know, to, at first glance, you could think, oh, they're just one of those knockoff libs bands. They actually had a whole world built around them, didn't they, that maybe people didn't realise? Yeah, 100%. And I guess you really got, I really got this from the interview, that Lloyd is very much, you know, he loves, he lives and breathes music. That's his life. And he's so passionate about it. And he can talk so well about it. And I think that really came through for me. And I, and I don't think, um, you know, necessarily, you know, back in those days, you didn't have podcasts, did you? So you probably wouldn't have heard them talking about it in that way before. So I thought, you know, I think this might be a really interesting interview for people to listen to who who did like them back in those days and knew that scene. And they'll probably get a load of stuff that they didn't even think they would get from that just by listening. Mm. And it's also interesting that they seem to be working on new stuff. Or at the very least, Paddington's have been rehearsing and Tom Atkin, the singer, it's got some solo material that we both had a little listen to uh, ahead of the interview. What, what have you made of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it didn't surprise me that, that, that he's taken a different route, because uh, I think that if we'd have come out and just done something that sounds very similar to the Paddington's, it wouldn't have worked. And because I think, you know, you need, you, need, you, know, you need the whole band to get that Paddington sound. But I wasn't surprised either that he'd taken, what did you call it? We, ha- we had a quick chat about this off air um more progressive right it's more progressive a little bit more psychedelic it reminded me of kind of some of those um kind of 70s sort of post-punk bands that were a bit a little bit more industrial um a little bit more kind of progressive like bands like suicide and and stuff like that so yeah it's it's different to the paddingtons it's good to hear that there's a bit of progression in the sound actually yeah and it was interesting actually to hear that uh he of course, this is going to happen, right? But he he got nervous, like releasing this, and you know it's probably been so long since that since he's released anything, and actually going going out there as a solo artist and kind of you are the only one out there, you're at the for, the forefront of it. Even though he was the front, you know, the front of the band, I guess before the lead singer, now it's just him, and any any kind of comments that are going to come off the back of that are going to just be directed towards him. But I actually think you know. He's he's it's an interesting it's an interesting move and I'm looking forward to, to hearing the rest of the songs on his EP. Although we should say it's quite hard to find on Spotify. So if you want to find it, it's not under his name Tom Atkin. It's just under the name Tom, which is minimalist, and it's the Lil Fucker EP, isn't it? So if you want to find that, we'll put a link in the description. But if you want to find that, that, that if you want to find that track and have a listen, it's um it's not the best optimized for search engines in uh, in Spotify because there's lots of Toms out there. So I guess the final thing to talk about really is, you know, they're back, you know, the Paddingtons are rehearsing again. I guess I'm interested to know as someone who 
was at the heart of the scene when they came around first time. Like, is there a place for a band like the Paddingtons, um, you know, in kind of the modern music scene? I'd like to think so, but I would probably sadly say the way the mainstream music scene works now, no, not right now. Uh, could it come back? I'd like to think so, yeah. Um, I think we were, we were talking about this and, and Lloyd sort of disagreed with me, which was interesting because uh, I am pretty sure that I'm sort of right on this. And we've talked about this before around the fact that it's quite hard to have a music scene these days. But he disagreed because I think he's still very much part of some of the music scenes. But like you say, it's probably gone a, kind of got a bit more regional than national. And there's nowhere like the enemy you know there was a place to to kind of see and hear and uh, hear about the the kind of music scene during that time but there isn't there, that doesn't exist anymore i think it was, you made a really interesting point around this around idols you know he said the idols now are kind of the they're like the fated rock and roll he said they're the best guitar band in britain at the moment and i think they're probably not far off being that i know what he kind of means when he says that is that define if you think about the defining guitar band of this era it would be idols but he said to get to that they needed the stamp of approval from from all of the kind of newspapers all of all of the kind of music media that's that's left and i think he made another good point around um you know the kind of london grot and roll scene you know that has seen a bit of a resurgence with bands like fat white family uh, and shame um kind of kind of more centered around south london than east london which if you don't live in london you might think is well what's the difference actually there is quite a difference between i feel like the um, the kind of trend, the, the trend in London has been towards South London, Peckham, areas like that, as opposed to East London in, in recent years. So, yeah, I think, I, I do think there is possibly a place a place for them. Well, I think that's interesting you talk about the shift from East to South London, because if you, and I know you haven't lived in London for that lot for, for, for quite a while, but I have, I've, you know, I've been here for 16 years and I've seen the shift from East London in terms of the cool, um, you know, the cool East London, which has become very gentrified and very different, which has now all moved down to places like Peckham. So it doesn't surprise me that the bands have kind of, you know, taken the lead from that as well. But in terms of when you were talking about idols, I do think that, yes, they, of course, you know, they, they're, play, they're being played on Radio 1. But to me, it just feels a bit like they're the token rock band now. And it does it doesn't feel like, there's five rock bands that are at the forefront of the music, mainstream music industry. I think it's more of a tokenistic thing, which I think is a shame. And I'd like to see it kind of flip again. But, you know, it's not to say I don't like all of the other music that's mainstream at the moment. It's just it's just different. And we're just going through a different culture, you know, a different culture shift, aren't we? I think this is a debate that's going to run and run, to be honest, in terms of the role that, that kind of bands that we liked in the past may have in the future music scene. And I'd be interested to bring in the views of listeners. So do you want to let people know how they can get in touch with us? Absolutely. So we are on Twitter and Instagram at DemotapesPod, or you can drop us an email at uh, DemotapesPod at gmail.com. And if they want to support the show, what can they do? Yeah, if you listen through iTunes, there's, you know, that thing that every podcast always has to do is, is give a five-star rating because it does massively help. And like we said before, we were 13 in the music charts on UK iTunes once upon a time. Yes, it was short-lived, but I'm never going to forget that, Rick. So I want to get back there again. So please help us get back there. Well, like that band, that band that had one top 20 single and we don't stop banging out on about in the pub, right? Yeah, no, no, don't, don't put us in that category. I think you have to have done nothing for a good few years before you get put in that category. We're getting back there, Rick, I promise you.
and I say that we can't even go to the pub. So you know, it'd be uh, it'd be great when we can actually go in the pub and have that conversation. But I guess that's probably all we've got uh, time for this week. All there is to say is thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. Yeah. Bye.